Every now and then, I meet someone who's changing the world for the better by their sheer will alone. Whether they're authors, activists, or adventurous, these people are blazing a path with their deep enthusiasm and allowing the world to follow. Their passion is strong, and my passion is to tell their stories. I am Brian Platt, and this is Passion Project. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This week, I speak with Enrique Ortiz and the Andes Amazon Fund. So he talks about the forest fires, the current state of the Amazon, and he addresses some misconceptions about the Amazon itself. So in all these podcasts, I do my due diligence to come prepared with a few questions and talking points. But here, I kind of like abandoned all that, abandoned everything I had, and just listened. You know, he's super informed, very captivating, but above all, he's unwaveringly positive, which I love. Um, and he should be. You know, he's done a lot of hard work over decades, getting the Amazon from being roughly like 5% of protected land to now currently 40%, which is incredible. So even though Andy's Amazon Fund doesn't necessarily work in Brazil, we talk about Bolsonaro. It's kind of hard not to, uh, especially when you're mentioning anything about the Amazon at all, since he is incentivizing people to destroy the rainforest um, and, you know, really just prioritizing short-term economic growth over everything else, including the environment. You know, all I got to say is thank God we don't have anyone like that um, as president of the United States. Oh boy. Um, But yeah, so, you know, having said that, one of the big things we talk about is the current sensationalist news and a lot of doomsday approaches we've been hearing lately. So while it might work in the short term to get fast attention in media, he really cautions against it as Enrique hasn't you know, seen any sustained efforts from it. You know, once you start panicking, you really can't unring that bell. And he thinks there's a lot of different ways of, of getting attention that doesn't involve people to panic and really just get the news out there in a better way. So one thing uh, I do want to mention is audio quality. The call dropped at some point on Enrique's side. So I had to actually stitch together two tracks. You'll know it when you hear it, but just a heads up, um, you know, it just might sound a little strange. But um, yeah, and so on a side note, I met Enrique because the company I work with, Yoko CO, redid his website, andysamazonfund.org. So if you're an association, a nonprofit, or really any organization with a passion beyond just pure profit, let us know. Drop us a line, um, especially if you need a new site or just need help with any ongoing marketing efforts. Um, We'd love to work with you. So on that note, um, yeah, as always, you know, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe when you hear this if you like it. Um, and yeah, I really hope you enjoy this one. This is a really incredible one, um, you know, timely, but also I think just Enrique has a lot of, uh, you know, institutional knowledge that really can be applied to a lot of different parts of the conservation world. So I hope you enjoy and take care. Enrique Ortiz is the program director of the Andes Amazon Fund. It's an organization committed to funding agencies that support conservation in the Andes Amazon region. Enrique has worked in the environmental field for decades and is trained as a tropical ecologist, conducting research on species and ecological systems in coastal areas, desert, highlands, and tropical forests. And he's a leader in biodiversity and ecosystem conservation. Welcome, Enrique. Uh, Thank you, Brian, for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big pleasure of mine. So I really, um, I really appreciate you taking the time for me, especially I know, you know, how busy you are right now. Yeah, I, ju- I just came from Bolivia a few days ago. Uh, I went to uh, visit some sites that we are helping to protect and I just happened to be in the areas where the forest is burning like crazy. All what you saw in the news uh, in the last weeks, that's what, that's the action where it was happening. So, um, has been busy times in the last uh, couple of weeks with all the uh, big uh, media exposure that uh, Amazon fires and climate change has taken in the last few days, you know, especially in the UN meetings. So anyway, yeah, it's busy times, you know, but it is always like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's jump right in. Like what, you know, I mean, that's obviously the biggest news in the past few months is the, the fires in the Amazon. Like how, how bad is it versus previous years? How bad has it been versus, you know, what the media is saying? Yeah, so let, let me tell you, you know, what you read in the media is one story, which is 
very, uh, I don't know what's the right word to say it, but it's, it's very exaggerated in many ways. Uh, the Amazon is not burning like, like you see it in the, in the, in the, in the news, like, oh my God, the Amazon is burning, it's in fire. The Amazon doesn't burn, like, for example, a, a temperate forest does, like what you saw in California or, or in other parts of the world. Uh, uh, but what is burning is areas that have been already cut months ago. And happens that right now we are in the rain, in the dry season. So the reason why you see so many fires is that this year, it's dry, it's not particularly the driest year, you know, but uh, because of policies, uh, wrong policies by Brazilian president, by the Bolivian president, you know, the number of huge areas have been cut uh, already like months ago, and they just dry enough to be burned for using the land for one reason or the other, or land speculation or, or expansion of agriculture. So it is not that the Amazon is burning like a standing forest. Probably a small percentage, yes, you know, at the edges is burning. But in general, the Amazon doesn't burn. It's too wet for that. Now, uh, what is really burning is not really the Amazonian forest. It's more other types of forests that are dry forests in, in Bolivia and in Paraguay, for example. The area where it just came from, you know, there, were, there was a fire that was starting in the order of 25 miles long, you know. Uh, and there was another one on the other side. I was just about to join this one. Uh, but that is a very dry forest, you know, with a litter layer that is probably, you know, like 20 inches. You know, that burns like crazy. But it's not properly the Amazon. And also, I would say uh, probably 70% of the fires in that area are grasslands. You know, what they call pampas. Yeah. Which also dry, uh, burning... It's somewhat a nat part of a natural cycle. Unfortunately, you know, uh, whenever this happens, you know, there is wildlife that is not able to run as much as uh, as, a, as a jaguar would do. But say, if there is a, uh, a sloth or, or if there is a, uh, a say, a, um, an anteater, they don't run as much. So those, there, is a, there, is a, there is a loss. But it is not as, as, as it has been publicized. What is really true uh, is that the trends that we see today are very high. So to me, more, more than, a, than, a, than a disaster, it is uh, a premonition of what's just about to happen, which is policies that basically have incentivized major uh, forest conversion, basically cutting the forest down for different uh, reasons, you know, depends on the country. Uh, uh, and the trends predict that deforestation rates in this year and probably in the next year will be probably the highest uh, in history for some countries. You know, so oh, wow. uh, so it is what what you see, for example, you know, the area has been burned uh, in Brazil. It is only a fraction of it was burned last year. But when you see the news, you believe that everything in Brazil is burning and not like that, you know. It's a it's right. a very media it's a media product, but definitely it is a very big, big, big red light blinking saying, "Watch out!" You know the policies that Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, is supporting are going to end up in a major, major disaster. So anyway, you know it, it is. You know I don't want to uh, kind of uh, oppose to the to the idea that yes, we need to do something. We need to do something, but. I'm in general very much against doomsday approaches. I believe the, the idea that the world is ending is bad because we have gained a lot and we have actually a lot of progress and we, we shouldn't be putting our head in the holes because uh, everything is burning and fucked up, fucked up. You know, it's not like that. Yeah, and that's one thing I appreciate about you, um, the fact that you don't see things as a doomsday scenario. Right, because I think when someone starts to see things that way, especially when they're in a leadership position such as you, it's like the rest of the world. People are going to give up if you feel like there's no hope for the Amazon. Say, yeah, you know, yeah, no. Look, it is like here. You know, when I hear about Trump, I just don't want to read about it anymore. You <laughs> know, and that's that's what I'm trying to avoid. Is that you know by giving all this negative information, which by the way. You know, there is more to be uh, optimistic than pessimistic. You know, I always say that we are 
Yeah. Uh, what we face today is more uh, like the half, the, the glass is half full, more than half empty. Uh, uh, yep. Of course, major challenges, but also, you know, uh, I I trust that you know new generations will find will find the the way to, you know. So um, you know, that's I don't see any other way. <laughs> you know, I get really upset when I see all these news about you know there's a million species in the verge of extinction and these are the like, and you know we will adapt in some ways. You know, it's not the end of the world. You know, if you ask your grandfather about how it was, you know, a uh, hundred years ago or eighty years ago, the world was very different, and the world will be very different in fifty years from now. No question about it. Uh, but it's not that the world is ending. Yeah. You know, it still is a beautiful world, and, and and a number of things are still to be to be appreciated and, and conserved and, and cherished. I can't tell you how good it is for me to hear you say that. Because I often say that to myself, and that's a big thing I have on this podcast is like, hey, you know, there's a lot of negativity. You mentioned Trump. There's a lot of environmental negativity around him or Bolsonaro. I mean, there's a lot of they've almost actively have disdain for the environment. But you got to be positive. All these in the last few days, you know, there is all this UN thing and the Greta Thunberg movement. And when I first heard her works, I was kind of like, that's a wrong message. Oh, wow. Well, you know, I appreciate that it's always happening, but I, I didn't like when she started saying, I'm in panic. You should be in panic. And I'm like, fuck, you know, <laughs> when you're in panic is when you make the worst decisions. So anyway, I'm just, I, I'm very much against, you know, this doomsday uh, approach to things. Yeah, I think it's a bad strategy. You know, it may work only for a few days, but then after that, it's like, oh, it's totally fucked up. Well, you know, uh, and there is no hope. You know, you know the lungs of the Amazon, the lungs of the world, 20% of the oxygen is produced in the Amazon. I, there is no forest. You know, we're going to be lacking oxygen. That's the biggest bullshit I ever heard. You know, that's totally wrong. You know, and there is a lot of information that is, that is managed and it's totally wrong. You know, like, for example, 15% of the fresh water, you know, it comes from the Amazon. That's totally wrong. I mean, it's, it's 0 0.2%, you know. Uh, it's, there are a lot of, you know, there is some information that is manipulated. I don't think it helps us. You know, I can't understand why it is said. It's to highlight importance, but I think we can be smarter than that, you know. Uh, anyway, don't let me start with that because, you know, I, I've been working in this for so long and, and, uh, and uh, frankly, you know, I, I, I try different things and I'm realizing that, you know, that's, that's not a way to go. Well, what, what do you yeah. think is the approach that works? Like, I get it while people will spread a lot of that information, misinformation, but what do you think, what do you think is the right way to do you it? Know, lately, I mean, the truth is that there is, there is no one way, there is many ways and we have to do this in a more, uh, I guess, uh, careful way, gotcha. you know. I lately I'm relying more on, on, on values. You know, even though that may, you may say, well, but economics is what really runs the world. But truly speaking, if we stick to economics uh, only, you know, we lose the world because uh, you cannot compete with the millions and millions right. and millions that are producing always. Uh, but if you think about more about this is a world you, you want to live, you know, think about the fact that we eat every week five grams of plastic. Yeah. Every week we ingest five grams of microplastics in our body. That's the equivalent of a credit card. Wow. You know, when you think about that, you know, you, you think like, is this a world you want to live? So more and more I'm relying on actually the values of actually what is really quality of life. You know, uh, uh, and it is not a luxury of, of an elite. You know, I think it's something that touches everybody. You know, uh, also, I believe that even the involvement of faith, and by the way, I'm an atheist, but yeah, I think the involvement of faith into, into the appreciation of, of the natural world is essential. You know, uh, so anyway, where I'm going is that uh, we need a multidisciplinary approach that actually touches different, different sides of, of, of humanity. You know, I don't know if that's going to work, but I tell you that uh, the other things don't work <laughs> either. You know, I think in the sense that we need to be actually more uh, uh, um, sensitive about different values that people have. You know, uh, 
and the same goes also. Uh, we have to deal with economics. In some cases, you know, the economics is the main reason. I mean, look at what climate change is. Is uh, the, for example, the rise of sea level is happening today. I mean, this is a purely economics issue. We have to uh, deal also with issues of human rights, you know, children, and so on. So it's a multi. Uh, faceted, I guess, multi-angle approach that we have to apply, but it's not only sticking to to some 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 aspects of it. Yeah, and I agree. You got to like this is such a big issue. You've got to tackle it from a different, from a few different ways. Like you were mentioning, just values. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and we have strong arguments for that. You know, I was just looking at the at the news uh, about today. For example, it was released you know, a, a report on the state of the oceans. And, man, when you, can, when you come to think about it, you know, you know, most of the, of the I mean, in, in coastal areas is where most people live. I'm from Peru, you know, and, and Peru is one of the biggest fisheries in the world. And when you talk to Peruvians about, uh, you know, the, the fish that we use, that is our identity, that we use to make ceviche, makes us so yeah. proud. And, and with overfishing and, and pollution and so on, we're not going to have that. That's, a, that's what you want to have. And it, that's what mobilizes people. When something touches them in their values, in their identity, and things that are a bit more profound than probably their pockets. Yeah. Uh, and the Amazon is a, is a, it's a great uh, um, subject in the sense that, you know, it's the biggest biodiversity in the planet. Right. You know, um, and again, is you know what kind of world do you want to live in? Live a world which is full of European sparrows or starlings. You know, you need you need other values, uh, and biodiversity is part of it. Uh, so anyway, the Amazon is is a place where I have been centralizing my efforts for for the reason that uh, in in the length of your time, there is where I can have more impact. Yeah, I guess in my lifetime. Uh, in terms of assuring, you know, uh, uh, I guess a, a natural patrimony for the planet. Gotcha. And that's kind of uh, my motivation in uh, working in, in the Amazon. And if you ask the question, why Andes Amazon? Well, is that uh, confluence of the Andes? The Andes is, you know, the mountain range in South America with the Amazon where most of, the, of life is concentrated in, in those areas that are, in a, in a gradient, altitudinal relief, you know, and that's the part where I've been devoting the last probably 25 years of my life in, in trying to protect as much as possible with great success so far. Yeah. Let's talk about the successes. Like what have you seen has resonated the most in your 25 years of working, you know, in and around the Amazon? Yeah. In the Amazon, by the way, you know, I, I, I am 61 right now and I've been working in this since I was 14. No, I, I started as a, as a young activist, you know, uh, it's a crazy story. But anyway, you know, uh, it's a story for a book, uh, a type of Garcia Marquez full of magical realism, you know, it's a different <laughs> times. Really, you know, coming from Peru where, uh, you know, it's a, it's a total different reality. It's an alternative reality. <laughs> anyway. You know, I've been to Peru a few years ago and I, you know, not even... 60 years ago, but just like three. And it is, it is completely, it's a different world. It's incredible. You feel like yeah. I'm, I'm an atheist too. You feel like you're close to heaven, whatever that is. It's, it's an incredible uh, country. I mean, there's no Azark. So, you know, uh, the reason, you know, I, as, as I tell you, you know, I was lured into the Andes Amazon when I started doing my, <laughs> my uh, thesis, you know, on, on, I started working with animals, you know, I, I was a bird guy. Uh, but then soon, sooner and later, I was more driven into what is called community ecology, which is basically uh, ecological systems that include mammals, uh, plants, birds, I mean, you name it, everything including humans. Uh, and then I started working more on, on policy and economics. And today, uh, after these decades, uh, I, I don't know if I consider myself again uh, a biologist because uh, even though I read papers all the time and I'm very much up to date to, to the latest literature, scientific literature, uh, my work is mainly to be, a, a, I guess, a conservation, uh, uh, what's the right word? This kind of directing conservation in a way that, to analyze 
what is working and what doesn't work. You, you ask me, you know, what has been done and what the progress? You know, when I started this, you know, we had a very, very, uh, I would say, weak protected area system. And let me start saying that protected areas is the cornerstone of conservation, uh, especially the large ones with connectivity. This is the areas where you have natural ecosystems working as they should be. Gotcha. You know, uh, uh, and what you see today, you know, compared to when I started in the, in the 70s, you know, it's, a, it's day and night. Uh, today we have countries with very solid systems, and more than that is institutionality. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, presence of of uh, and also and the biggest change I would say is that uh, in terms of society uh, progress is day and night. You know, when I started, we were five guys. Yeah. You know, and today uh, I'm I'm part of a, a couple of uh, awards center, uh, events. You know, like for young conservationists, I'm appalled to see the number of young people who are really cool, doing really amazing work. And the times when I put myself 40 years ago, we were like just five guys. And today there is a whole wow. universe of uh, people in Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, Bolivia, Brazil, uh, really, really making a change. And that's what what is, to me, one of the greatest changes that makes me more optimistic than ever. Uh, so it is the progress we had in protecting areas, key areas, I mean, you put it together, it's about 40% of the Amazon is under some sort of legal protection. Right. Uh, and 40%, you're talking about hundreds of millions of, of acres. Uh, uh, it's, it's a huge area. Uh, 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 and when I started, it was probably in the order of 3 or 4%. Oh, wow. So the progress has been humongous. Yeah. Uh, that's why I, I feel optimistic. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of a, a summarize of where where uh, uh, where I see that today is a reason to be optimistic more than pessimistic. Yeah, and that's what people don't you know focus on. While I think it is important to say, hey, deforestation is it's increasing, it's it's going a little bit faster than it has been in the past. Let's also focus on the positive. Hey, on the flip side, we have more protected land than we ever have. Like you said, forty percent, and and that number is growing. Um, Brian, you know, today there is more forest than 20, 20 years ago. Wow. In the Amazon itself? In the Amazon, too. Wow. Uh, uh, what has happened is that uh, there were some waves of deforestation. 2006, for example, was a horrible year because of you know market uh, uh, fluctuations in soy and cattle yeah. and so on. You know, uh, and many areas that were deforested were left aside. And, and today, actually, there is more forest. The Amazon is probably not the example, but in the terms of worldwide, today there is more forest than before. Yeah. Countries like Costa Rica, for example, you know, today have more forest than 20 years ago. Basically because areas that have been deforested were left alone and they are regenerating by themselves. Gotcha. And nature is extremely resilient, more than what we think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it will find a way. I mean, that's one initiative that I know people have is like reforestation. While it's difficult, I know people have, you know, talked about that. But I know you have this, what is the term of avoided reforestation? Yeah, well, you know, there is a, uh, the, 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 the term is, is called avoided, def, uh, is avoided uh, deforestation, yeah, yeah. right? Basically, it's all the kinds of initiatives that, you know, don't involve uh, deforestation. Uh, basically, is is if there is agricultural development or whatever, it is using already degraded lands. And there is a whole movement that is called the uh, restoration movement. And basically, are, are investing big amounts of money into bringing areas that were degraded back into, um, I guess, into standing forests and also into, uh, I guess, functional ecosystems. But I've been also leading a, a movement quite controversial that is called avoided restoration because in my mind, you know, it is a way much better investment to protect existing forests than investing money into restoring areas that have been degraded. You know, if you compare the amount of land that is being cut compared to the amount of land that is being restored, 
the the amount of land that is being cut is, is much greater than the one restored, and the cost of restoration is very high. Uh, it's not it's not cheap. So uh, as part of my effort with this Amazon fund, what we do is mainly to protect standing forests before they the, the standing forest is imperiled or is or is degraded or is deforested. And that's that's our main our main purpose. You know, is protecting land uh, under different types of strategies uh, before uh, other forces uh, act upon and. And degraded or or or, or deforested. Gotcha. Yeah, and you just mentioned, you know, you just mentioned some of the reasons why the forest is cut down to begin with. You're talking about cattle grazing, also soy. You know, when you said it really took yeah. a big hit in 2006. What are other reasons that the Amazon um, kind of gets? You know, uh, when when one says the Amazon, one imagines that the Amazon is one, uh, you know, solid continuum. You know, it's not. Number one, the Amazon is divided among, among eight countries. Well, nine, if you consider French Guiana country, but it's not a country, right? It's a colony of France. But uh, it is eight countries that where the Amazon forest belongs to. Sure, Brazil is probably something in the order of 70 or 65% of it, 70% of it. You know, it's the biggest chunk. Wow. But the reality of what you see, for example, in Colombia uh, is quite different than the reality you see in Bolivia or the reality you see in Acre in Brazil or what you see in Pará in, in the other side of Brazil, or the Amazon in Brazil. And second, you know, it is such a dynamic world that what used to be a threat, it is not anymore. And in the last 20 years, some threats have appeared that they were not threats before. For example, you know, in one of the areas where I spent a lot of time is in Madre de Dios in Peru, which is the border between uh, Bolivia, Peru, and Brazil. You know, it's in the southeastern Peru. Uh, and this area is known today because it's one of the, of the study cases for illegal gold mines. Yes. You know, you see, you see that in the media here and there. Uh, uh, but well, I've been working there since the 80s. And gold mining is only probably starting in the year 2008. Oh, wow. You know, so it is only, is, is, is what? is 11 years old. Before 11 years ago, that was not an issue. You know, so the reason why I mentioned this is because problems of today are not necessarily the problems of yesterday, neither will be the ones of tomorrow. Uh, I can give you a, a, you know, a summary of what is a problem in Colombia, which is different than the one in Peru, which is different than the one in, 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 in Bolivia, and is different than the one in Ecuador, or different than the one in southwestern Brazil or northern. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just yeah. every area has a different. Uh, but if you were going to summarize, you know, what is the main uh, cause of deforestation today? Uh, today, yeah? but uh, as I highlighted work today because I told you 2006 was a major year of deforestation, but that was because uh, Brazil opened up uh, the industry of soy and cattle, and that was huge, huge amount of land that was degraded because of that. But today is not. The main wow. uh, reason why forest is cut today is what is called the expansion of agriculture, uh, which is basically an end work of of uh, people cutting small chunks of forest. So it is not that it used to be 10 years ago where most of the deforestation was these enormous areas like, say, 100,000 acres or, or, or no. Today is mainly something in the order of 10 acres uh, at once. You know, it's small advances. And depends on where you are, uh, you know, the drivers are different. But most of them are related to one factor, which is roads. Ah. Uh, so if you say, what is the main uh, driver of deforestation today is access, is roads. And the roads come with uh, settlements, people basically invading and land squattering. In countries like Colombia, for example, today, it is believed that 70% of deforestation in the Amazon is related to land squattering, basically land speculation. Uh, 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 in Peru, either the numbers are unknown, uh, but in a, in a big extent, if you when you see deforestation, it follows roads. And by the way, in relation to what we were talking before about the fires today, when you look at the air, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the what they call the, the 
the heat centers, you know, the places where most of fires are happening. Look at them, and all of them are following rules. So you gotta. So development of infrastructure is the main driver, and even though you may think that you need infrastructure in order to uh, create development and so on, but the problem is that the governance is very weak, and um, basically is a low hanging fruit, and corruption is is also uh, widespread. Gotcha. So roads is the big issue that, you know, anytime you see a road, that's probably for a reason and to develop, to pull down, you know, to cut Or down mafias. Or what? Mafias try to access, you know, uh, uh, forest for logging. Uh, many cases, corruption related to contracts will have nothing to do with the, the utility of the roads. You know, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I can give you many examples of of uh, different types of of uh, illnesses on that on that sense, but roads is a general, it's a generality. So what? And, and this is probably a tough question to answer too, or just you know, a lot of different answers. But what countries do you find? You know, probably got to take Brazil out of there because Brazil right now with Bolsonaro isn't very responsive. But what countries do you find are the most responsive, or the ones that are working to protect the Amazon? Yeah. All right. I mean, I can give you an answer of what is, what is today, right? But it wasn't that a year ago. You know, let me give you an example. You know, Peru, for example, has had a really good policies and good momentum, and still is, you know, a very strong uh, constituency at the municipal, at the regional levels. We in Peru, the country are divided in regions. It's kind of states, you know, but it's not a federal country. You know, uh, but they, they have certain level of autonomy. Uh, and the level of sophistication in these regions uh, is, is quite high now. And they are actually very much into protecting watersheds and into protecting their own microclimates and also protecting forests because they are seeing, you know, gains, for example, tourism, different types of sources of, of uh, exportation of non-timber forest products and so on. So anyway, Peru is having, a, I would say, a very steady progress. You know, Brazil was not bad until, I would say, four or five years ago. Yeah. In the last few years, has been going downhill and now with Bolsonaro, is going downhill steep. Uh, Bolivia is uh, also in very deep trouble. However, I see at a municipal level very good intentions and very good progress. Ecuador is coming back. It was very bad until a few a couple of years ago when President Correa uh, left. There is a new guy, Moreno, and he's actually having a better idea and, 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 and he's coming back. Colombia... Uh, and in the last years of President Santos, in the last two years, uh, actually it was very progressive. This government of President Duque is is still uh, ambiguous. In fact, it's not really having much, uh, I guess, balls to confront different mafias. You know, so uh, it depends. I would say Peru is is now uh, uh, heading the the in the trends. Now, in Brazil, uh, it also varies according to the place of Brazil. Brazil is a huge country, right? It's, it's the size of the United States, you know, and there is a federal country. So some states, like Amazonas states, actually are pretty progressive. You know, Acre, which is in the southern part of the Amazon, has been also very progressive. Right now, it's kind of weak, uh, but it, it varies quite a bit. You know, it's hard to tell, you know, which country, uh, it is more a photograph of the moment. You know, it varies according to different leaderships. I tell you, if Evo Morales wins in Bolivia, big trouble. Uh, if, if he's running, by the way, for the fourth time. If he wins again, big trouble. Uh, Bolsonaro is big trouble. Uh, I, I would say Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, kind of stable, more or less. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. And, like, what is the... What do you think is going to happen with Bolsonaro? You know, I, today uh, I spent uh, 30 minutes listening to his speech in the UN. You know, he spoke uh, yesterday, you know, in the UN, uh, in New York. And I, uh, today I just wanted to listen to him, you know, what, what he said, as opposed to what you read, you know. When you read the environmentalist web pages, oh my God, you know, Bolsonaro is such a beast, you know, but when you read, 
the Brazilian newspapers, they praise him. Right. You know? So I just went to hear wanted to hear. And the problem with Bolsonaro is that he comes with a with a with a notion of a country uh, that is very different than, than what it was it used to be. You know, he number one is he comes with a very nationalistic approach. Uh, uh, in the sense that uh, the Amazon, the Brazilian Amazon, it belongs to Bra to Brazil. And if you are coming to tell me that it is it belongs to humanity, dream on. Yeah, you know, and that that is 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 playing very well to him. And Brazilians are, by the way, very nationalistic. You know, if you know the Brazilian way, is is very xenophobic as well as very nationalistic. Uh, and uh, it's a great nation, you know, and that's probably why why it's so great. But uh, that's characteristics of, of, of countries. So uh, this nationalistic approach of Bolsonaro is playing very well to his basis. Uh, but also, he comes from a military background, and they have been very much under the philosophy of of colonizing. Uh, it's kind of like uh, the, the search for the West in, in in the old times in the U.S. So uh, they are very much into securing their borders. Brazil is for Brazilians, and and also you know, you know let's colonize the Amazon. And say, and and the other factor is that he doesn't like the indigenous movement. He doesn't like Indians. Yeah, you know, and he believes, and you can argue against it. You know, but there's a reason for him to, to say this is that the Indians have already too much land. Hmm. Uh, uh, and you look carefully, uh, the Indian movement, uh, the Indi indigenous peoples uh, control something in the order of probably 18 or 19% of the Amazon in Brazil, but they represent less than 1% of the population. Oh, wow. You know, so when you think about it, it's like, wait a second, you know. Uh, in the in the in the minds of Brazilians, is like you know, is that right? You know, you may argue against it, but anyway, huh. he he comes with the idea that Indians are like anybody, like you or me. They have their dreams, and they also want to develop. Uh, and so, why not they do mining? Why not they do soy? You know, and. Even though there may be some populations that may want that, some small part of the Indians, most of the Indians want to be in their land and just hunt their monkeys and 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 you know plant their 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 manioc. <laughs> you know, some uh, there is quite a large people who who their aspirations are more very traditional. Oh, sure. uh, but he is very much against that. So. Uh, the problem with Bolsonaro is that uh, he basically dismantled institutions yeah. that were supporting Indians and supporting conservation of, of forests. They he cut their budgets to less to help, you know, and, and replaced the leadership with military people or his allies. Uh, and also, uh, he also told uh, uh, the colonists saying. Uh, do whatever you want, and I'm gonna close my eyes. Yeah. So impunity is rampant, uh, and that was the the, the message. Uh, even though he didn't phrase it in that way, but that was the message. Yeah. The number of environmental violations and fines that the violations have like orders of magnitude uh, increase, and the fines are zero. In other words, the enforcement of environmental crimes is zero. So the message is, low-hanging fruit, do whatever you want. Yeah. No wonder why we have so many fires. Yeah. I mean, Bolsonaro sounds exactly like Trump. Like, exactly like what, we've got, even, what we've got going on. Yeah. I mean, uh, in some ways, Bolsonaro is worse, uh, yeah. but uh, I would say uh, Trump is more embarrassing. <laughs> Embarrassing is the perfect word. Yeah, that's, I guess, you know, it's just such a clown. But Bolsonaro is not far from that, I tell you. Well, and uh, that's an important point is, like, you mentioned earlier, but, like, hey, Brazil, their national sovereignty, they feel like they should be able to build this land, you know, build on the Amazon, because that's what we did. We built yeah. upon the land that we had, so they're, why can you do that, North America, but we can't? Yeah. 
Yeah, and when you think about you know development in, in the world in the in the in Europe or in the US, you know, basically Brazil is buying their things, and you know, and it's kind of like if I'm going to protect the Amazon, you know, there has to be a quid for quo, too. Yeah. You know, if, if I want to, you know, and that doesn't happen. It was ridiculous, you know, when in the G7 when the president of France, you know, saying that we're going to donate twenty five million dollars. Give me a break, you know. This is pocket money, you know. This is stupid. You know, in fact, uh, when I read that, I, the, my first thought was, these people don't have any understanding of Brazilian idiosyncrasy. Uh, and as I said, you know, next morning, Bolsonaro said, you know, you can show that in your ass. You know, I, I don't need your money. You know, that's, that's bullshit. You know, they just have no understanding. It was, uh, uh, the whole thing is just a media blitz. Uh, to deal with Brazilians, you have to understand what is their psychology, what's their, you know, what's, what's the identity of Brazilians. And unfortunately, uh, several of these leaders are just for the cameras. So you, you think a lot of that was, a lot of that, you know, international financial aid to Brazil and to the Amazon was for show? Like it wasn't enough to really yeah. do anything substantial? Oh, no, it doesn't, make it, it doesn't make a dent at all. Wow. The changes are more of a different sort, are more political. You know, wow. for example... If you had, you know, uh, uh, in the same way as, as I, I mean, I hate to use this example, but in the same way as uh, Trump uses tariffs for pushing a country to do one thing or to do the other, mm -hmm. tariffs also should be used, for example, to support forest conservation. Gotcha. I give you a better treatment if you, you know, uh, comply with, I don't know, you know, to say lower your emissions. Yeah. You know, and things like that. Uh, it's political. You know, uh, so all what you saw was, made, I mean, in my mind, you know, it's a big show. Now, you know, of course, I had to look also for the bright side of things, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it suddenly put the Amazon in, in you know, in, in the front of attention. You know, that's a good side of it. It also, right. in some way, enraged youth to start thinking, hmm. Maybe I should think about it, you know. Uh, I don't know. There are some positive sides of it. But I just, uh, I, as you notice, I didn't like it that much in the way it was manipulated and driven. I, I just came from Bolivia, and I was telling you that I was looking at what happened in Bolivia, and Bolivia was hardly in the news. The yeah. real disaster is there. Uh, it wasn't in Brazil. Wow, really? It was more in the south. Yeah, uh, and there is where the disaster was. You know, not out there, but, of course, you know, uh, for other reasons, you know, Brazilian Brazil was a better target. Yeah, and and we have the same thing going on right now in Indonesia. Like there's smog in Singapore and in parts of the Philippines yeah. because of Indonesian, yeah. uh, you know, rainforests that are being burned down. We're not hearing much about mm -hmm. that, at least compared to what we heard about the Amazon. So while the yeah. attention is good, it does feel like sometimes, you know, it might be a little bit skewed. Now, one of the points that actually uh, you were wondering at some point of, you know, talking a bit more about what is a tipping point. Yeah. And this is a real thing to, to, to consider. You know, uh, today, uh, out of the 100% of the forests in the Amazon, about, I would say, 80, above 80% 80 is still forests intact. Mm. 80%, you know, that's a lot. You know, you're talking about something in the other of 600 million hectares. Yeah. You know, uh, it's enormous. You know, it's, it's huge. Uh, however, so it, that means that the deforestation accounts to probably something in the order of 18 to 20 percent. Gotcha. And uh, I told you before, you know, it follows the roads. In the case of Brazil, most of the deforestation uh, is along the, what is called the BR-163. It's a road that crosses Pará and goes all the way to, to the border with Peru, is in, in the interoceanic highway. Uh, uh, anyway, but the 18 percent has been already degraded or cut. Uh, uh, the climatic uh, uh, modeling, very sophisticated science, you know, very reliable science these days, predicts that uh, the role that forest itself has, in particular the Amazon, of creating its own rain. Mm -hmm. uh, and recycling, uh, and also as a regulator of world weather, you know, maybe uh, alter it when we get to what is called a tipping point. It's a point where the 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 uh, when the forest 
continuity deserve the capacity to create your own rain, basically rainfall, evaporation, rainfall, evaporation, rain. Oh, it's disrupted, then it, it screws up the whole uh, movement of clouds. And that it becomes to be like a snowball in the sense that once you don't have rain, if there are more more uh, dry uh, dryness in the in the in the in the forest, and the less water in the forest, uh, uh, it means that the forest is more prone to fires. You know, so uh, once it is not that wet anymore, it becomes too prone to fires. So then, basically, you get into a, a kind of like a uh, like a self-feeding circle, you know, and that's what is called the tipping point. And the estimates are that when we get probably in between 20 to 25 percent of the forest cut down, there is when we'll start altering this self-generating uh, rain self-generating capacity, uh, and that 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 may you know basically snowball, uh, and that's a, that's a real concern. That's why, you know, uh, as I was telling you before, you know, one of our main motos as, as the Andes Amazon Fund is to uh, provide with, a, uh, I guess, a land use uh, legal uh, capacity to avoid areas to be cut down and also looking for more, con uh, uh, um, the word is uh, continuity. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's more like corridors. Where uh, clouds pass, you know, and go in the in the in the higher elevations, and and then bring rain back, you know, the rivers. Basically, trying to protect the system. The more that we protect the forest, the the more safe we are against reaching this tipping point. Uh, and, and that's one one issue that has been in the news a lot lately is that if we continue in the trend that we are, you know, we may be uh, probably getting to uh, a point where is no return. Wow. We have, we have some time, you know, but uh, it's not far. Yeah, I mean, you're saying, you know, it takes, we'd have to be at 25% and we're at 18 to 20% right now. So that doesn't yeah. seem far, especially on the pace that Brazil's on. The Amazon is estimated to be something in the order. I mean, I speak in hectares. I, I know that in America, people talk about acres. Mm -hmm. and so I have to make a, a translation, but right. uh, I get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, an acre equals 2.4, uh, no, sorry, a hectare equals 2.4 acres. The Amazon is something in the order of 800 million hectares. So multiply that by 2.4. Now, uh, today, deforestation in, in Brazil accounts for something in the order of 800,000 hectares. Equals, you know, it will be about Two million acres. Wow! Uh, and again, the Amazon is something in the order of the whole Amazon is something in the order of uh, I would say one point six billion acres, something like this. Yeah. Uh, so there is still uh, forest. So that the deforestation is high, and the problem is that with Bolsonaro's policies, uh, those eight hundred thousand hectares may be uh, one point five million next year. Mm -hmm. The worst time ever in history in Brazil was, as I was telling you before, in 2006, mm -hmm. where annually there was a 3 million hectares of deforestation, which equals something the other of 8 million acres. Uh, and that was bad. Wow, yeah. We have to avoid going back into that. And the, the concern today is that Bolsonaro is heading into that direction. What is being done to try and prevent Bolsonaro and his, you know, his policies from going back to that 2006 yeah. Number one, you know, uh, Bolsonaro uh, has certain level of power. It's like saying Trump in the U.S., you know, states have uh, also uh, uh, to some level um, autonomy. Right. So what we do is basically work at the state level. So we are not dealing with Bolsonaro and, and his crowd. We're dealing with the, with the uh, governors in state level. You know, there are states like, for example, Amazonas, mm -hmm. which is you know, it's humongous, you know, it's huge. It's, it's, it's probably, my guess, is uh, one third of, of the whole Amazon, you know, one state. You know, and we're working with, with the governor in order to create protected areas, in order to manage areas, in order to strengthen uh, community organizations to, 
to um, manage the forest better, you know, as opposed to say, you know, increase, you know, cattle ranching, which is not really that profitable. So anyway, that's what we do. You know, uh, I must be honest that Andes Amazon fan is not that active in Brazil. Yeah. You know, we are more active in the Andean Amazonian countries. Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia. I would say those are the four countries that we, we put most of, most of our efforts. We have some action in Brazil, but it's not really uh, our main focus. And the reason is because, uh, you know, uh, the more, I mean, you have to concentrate. I mean, number one, our resources are, are not uh, um, unlimited. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the Amazon is big. You know? there, is, there is a level of capacity. Uh, and this Amazon fan so far, and this Amazon fan in the last four years, uh, we have uh, supported organizations, national and as well as uh, civil society, to protect something in the order of, I would, um, I guess it's 20 something million acres in key areas. And what I mean with key areas means those areas where biodiversity levels are much higher or areas that are more. Uh, important for water catchment, uh, and that's it's not a small thing. You know, it's, it's a big area. You know, uh, we just got one new area in, in Bolivia, which is about uh, three million. No, it's about four and a half million ha- acres. Huge, you know, and an amazing place. Right. So anyway, we are one of the ones that are working on this, and, and we are not the only ones. You know, there is there are foundations who are also supporting similar work. I guess what makes us different than the others is that we're very specialized in that. You know, our uh, one of our main focus is to create protected areas of the different sorts, be indigenous, be regional, municipal, private, you know, it, you know different types in, for every country. Yeah, and you guys also work with, you know, indigenous people in that area, not just yeah. uh, you know, the ecosystems themselves. No, uh, and indigenous peoples, and also we work with uncontact indigenous peoples. Uh, and you may wonder where the heck is that? You know? <laughs> um, you, you know, we are exploring Mars, right? Uh, but as we speak, there is something in the order of a hundred different tribes with their own language wow. who live in Stone Age in, in the Amazon that they don't have any contact with white people. Uh, 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 and again, you know, they have their own language, their own culture. And uh, the problem is that since these people have never had any contact with Western society, their immunological system is very weak right. to resist our diseases. So if you come in the contact with a group and you have a cold, you may kill a whole, a whole culture. So uh, part of our work also involves supporting the Peruvian government as well as in Colombia uh, to strengthen the national strategies and, and also uh, set aside areas where these groups are known to exist. Of course, the, the, the policies never go and contact them. It's more living alone until that someday they will want to come out. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, but you don't really think about that. At least, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. So you know, the, our work involves different strategies, different types of, of partnerships. You know, it's not only uh, with the, with the ministries of environment. We also work with different the ministries of culture. We deal with these Indian affairs. We work also with uh, ministers of agriculture, uh, also with ministers of energy, because you know some countries need oil, and you have to find a way of uh, also um, allowing certain levels of development, but under best practices and so on. So you know it's it's it's, it's quite a. I would say it's quite a uh, quite a variety of different things that we're working on. Yeah, I mean that's you know. And that's what you're saying. Like you only have so many resources. There's only so much you can really focus on. Um, so you've got to focus on yeah. your expertise. Uh, I tell you, you know, it's a lot of fun. Uh, sometimes it's very frustrating. Uh, but uh, when we have progress like the one I just told you in Bolivia, 
you know, it's, it's a very uh, uh, rewarding type of thing. You know, it's the right thing. And, you know, we're working, you know, with people, with governments and different constituencies. And it's, so it is not a, a mandate from the West, you know, not at all. It is actually local initiatives. Uh, and that's also good. Yeah. I mean, that's what you want to see, right? You want to see people protecting their own areas. You don't want to see... Europe and, and America meddling in, uh, <laughs> you know, certain local areas. You want them to protect yeah. it themselves. And I'm sure that they do. It's just a matter of like, how do we do this? And how do we also maintain jobs and maintain an economy? While yeah, I mean, the there is a reality, you cannot deny. You know, it is not ideal to think that you're going to have soldiers protecting an area. You know, that's, right. that's, that's far from ideal. You know, in certain, in the beginning, in certain cases, you have to use force. It's true, but the ideal is that at the end, it's local communities, local people uh, that are keeping the areas in good shape. Not necessarily that they are using them, using them, but at least keeping at key, being the gatekeepers, basically. Well, yeah, and you know, you don't want America or any other country that's already developed their land to go and say, "Well, you guys can't do that. You guys can't develop your land." You want it to come uh, from the inside out. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the beginning, we were talking about, you know, what have you seen changing in, in your lifetime? I tell you, in the beginning, it was more about cute animals, cute furry animals. <laughs> uh, in some ways, you know, it was more like, you know, I guess the elites like. Uh, 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 and today it is a local initiative. You know, it is, it is a guy that lives in this forest or in this mountain that tells you, I want to protect my, the forest here because there is where the, where the water that I drink or I use for my crops comes from. They understand it better than uh, we do. And, and it is, it is in, in many ways, it is their initiatives. Uh, and that's very rewarding actually to see that, uh, People actually understand better what you think. So it is not necessarily fighting against the current. It's, it's helping people to, to do the right thing. So I love this. I love the fact that you're very positive about it, but you're also very you know, realistic about the issues that are going on. What would be the, you know, if you wanted to tell people three things about the Amazon, um, what would you tell them? What would you say, you know, these are the issues, these the the opportunities um this is what we're up against yeah i mean i i don't know if there is an easy answer for that you know what i would tell to the peruvians or the bolivians would be different than i would tell to american public you know there is always uh, the question what can you do to help right uh if when i talk to peruvians for example or bolivians i uh I, my strategy is which is what i really feel is that this is our identity you know, is a natural patrimony. We, you, you feel uh, proud of mm. of Machu Picchu or the Inca culture. Well, you gotta feel proud about your Amazon. You know, and this is something that is is, is an issue of identity. You know, uh, and to me, that's a very powerful message. People get it. Uh, uh, but if I talk, of course, with a with a politician, you know, I, I have to tell them, man. This is not a expenditure. Right. This is an investment. Uh, and I have, I cite several examples, you know, where nature actually brings you more money uh, uh, than, than, say, fast uh, right. uh, cash crops, you know. Uh, just to give you an example, you know. Uh, we did a, an study of tourism in protected areas, tourism in national parks. Uh, we found that the uh, the movement, uh, the the, uh, the amount of money that is moved by tourism uh, in protected areas is something in the order of five times higher than the logging industry. So it is way way much better to keep the forest standing than, than chopping it off, because you get every year, you get every year you know one point two billion dollars. You know uh, uh, that's language. For politicians, so uh, it depends. Uh, uh, so, if you ask me, you know, why would you tell an American, you know, uh, yeah. why should we save the Amazon? And I would say, you know, this is a world that you want to live. It's a world that is rich in biodiversity, a world that inspires, 
you know, and a world that also, you know, it, it produces clean water and, and clean air, you know, and some stability. It is, it is, is more about, you know, what uh, you want to leave for next generations. Uh, uh, it is more a values. Uh, of course, I can use the other arguments like, oh, it's the lands of the world, you know, all that. You know, but I frankly don't use that because number one is not true, and second, you know, uh, I, I don't think it actually convinces anybody. Uh, but I, I go more for the values, you know. Uh, and when you people say, "What can I do?" I don't know. That was your second question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and to that point, like, what what would you tell someone who is watching the news and thinks that the Amazon is there's no hope for it? or that it's completely being demolished by the forest fires and by the deforestation? Yeah, I would say, you know, it is not, you know, we still have 80% of it, you know, and we have time. Uh, And uh, my message is that, you know, number one is get, you know, get informed, you know, pass the message and support those who are in the, in the trenches, you know, uh, and, and and second, you know, being a Washingtonian, I live in DC. You know, what I tell is also has some influence in your in your representatives. There are several cases where political action uh, has changed things in the right direction you know, for Amazon. The Amazon. Uh, there are a number of examples, but more than anything is get informed and support, uh, pass the message and, and support uh, people who are. Uh, working in, in, you know, for environmental purposes, and particularly in the Amazon. Uh, my message is: things are not as bad as they, they look like. We have time. You know, it's, it's not, it's not doomsday. And regarding climate change, you know, frankly, I'm more, more and more convinced that, you know, as much as we are concerned about emissions, we have to be concerned about adaptation. You know. Uh, already screw up, you know. And second, you know, it is not just a matter of replacing your 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 gas car for a Prius or electric, you know, it's also about your consumption. Yeah. You have to be more responsible. You know, it is it is an everyday thing. You know, uh, it doesn't matter if you think that you're going to make a change or not, it is a personal attitude. Uh, 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 that's kind of what I, I see yeah, all around. I love hearing that, and I really do. I mean, you know, I got to be honest. When I read, you know, when I was reading about the report, the, um, you know, what we were talking about earlier, the one about the tipping point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard yeah. not to be feel defeated. It's hard not to feel like it's like it's all over. It's a lost cause. So I appreciate you setting the record straight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and and you know, one thing I tell them is go and see it. You know, go and see it, and then you understand better. You know, all, all this discussion. You know, uh, if you haven't been in the Amazon, there are many places that can give you the right the, the right place where you want to see like, the real thing. You know, but even you don't have to go to Peru or Brazil or or uh, even going to Costa Rica to see you know uh, tropical forests. It's just it just blows your mind. So I got married last year, and my wife and I have always wanted to go to, um, you know, see the mountain gorillas of Uganda and the Congo. Oh, yeah. So we're yeah, so we're going to Uganda in November, and one of the reasons we're doing that is because the mountain gorillas have the only positive trend of any primates because they're really that area is really embracing sustainable travel. So you're saying. Yeah. That there could be something, you know, a similar initiative with the Amazon itself. Oh yeah, no, I mean every place has a different solution. Right. There is no single bullet, you know, and that's part of the of the challenge is is finding that the right solution. And by the way, the, the mountain gorillas is in my bucket list. Oh man, <laughs> I don't know when I will do. Yeah, <laughs> eventually. Absolutely, yeah. We will. I'll let I'll let you know when we get back. It'll be, um, you know, in mid November. But I'm so excited. It's our bucket list, too. Um, and next on our bucket list is the Amazon. So I'll have to reach out to you for some good you know, travel yeah, advice. No, I, 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 can, I can tell you some advice of you know the good places uh, where you see the real thing. And also you see some of the problems. It's important to put it in the context. Yeah. Uh, it's very informative. I, I can tell you that you know, offline. Nice. Well, Enrique, I mean, thank you so much for your time. 
this has been incredible. I appreciate you, you know, setting the record straight. I appreciate your positivity and I appreciate the important work you've been doing for decades. I think it's invaluable to the world um, and, you know, to these specific areas. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, man. This has been great. Well, brother, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I'm, uh, there, uh, um, you just, you know, you have to keep uh, always being optimistic. Remember, yeah, the glass is full, is not half, half empty. Uh, uh, always pass the positive message, uh, and, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna make it, we're gonna win. <laughs> Thanks for joining. If you liked that episode, feel free to rate, view, and subscribe. That actually really helps. If you haven't seen it yet, take a look at the accompanying blog. Don't forget your boots.com where you can read more and see photos for all the interviews. Until next time, take care.